idea. Let's talk about thrones. And let's start out by introducing each other again. I'm Richard, and I have really never seen thrones before, except for watching it for the purposes of talking about it with my friends here. And I'm going to pass the mic to Jenny. I'm Jenny, and I have received the mic. <laughs> I what are you doing Game with it, Jenny? Several times in different variations. Uh, this is my third watch through of season one, but uh, we'll get to season two, and I'll be on like the second watch through. So uh, I'm 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 really excited to talk about today's episode, uh, in particular the uh, what Richard thinks. <laughs> <laughs> And Anthony. Um, I'm Anthony, and this is my, uh, is this like a confessional? Are we, are we doing this confession style? Yeah, sure. This is my sure. third watch through of the first season. The first watch through was done while I was asleep, so I don't know if that counts. And uh, working two jobs really, really kills you sometimes. Um, I, too, am extremely interested to see Richard's reaction to these two episodes, because we are covering the last two episodes of the first season. Well, the famous enough, one. The ones where stuff <laughs> always goes down. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like that's true every season, right? The last mm-hmm. two are where all the good stuff happens. And if this is any indication of how that's going to go, uh, these final episodes each season are going to be no exception. All right. Well, I am going to drive the conversation this time around as we do this round robin style. And it is my turn, which is probably good because I'm probably going to end up talking a lot. We're talking about Baylor. Episode 109, and Fire and Blood, episode 110, the final two episodes of season one. And you were not kidding Mm. that a lot goes down and a lot comes around in these two episodes. So I am going to summarize my biggest takeaways from these two episodes in roughly... Two or three sentences. (laughs) Ned pays for his nobility. And Daenerys ends up with dragon babies. Like that. That's basically the big things that I take away from these two episodes. Now, obviously, much more happened in here. We had a battle, a, a a surprisingly strategically played battle between Rob's army and the Lannisters. And I like to call that budgetarily conscious battle. <laughs> <laughs> A battle where we don't hear about how they managed to actually win because all we heard about were what well, was the battle with, or all we saw rather was the battle with only 2,000 of his men, all of which died, represented by approximately 45 actors. And that was actually pretty gruesome and almost a little bit of a bait and switch, right? Like they make you believe that, oh, wow, they don't have a chance here. They're kind of getting screwed as they encroach here. But in fact, miraculously, everybody comes back. Well, you know, the other, what is it, 18,000 men that they have come back and they were victorious because the 2,000 men died on their behalf. Kind of cool, kind of interesting. It it kind of reinforces that perhaps Rob isn't as 
um, as as boring and dumb as people claim he is, even though nobody really seems to enjoy watching him in any scenes. Oh, you just wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. There, that, that's fair. Something with this battle that I thought was really great. They did two things with it. First of all, as they cross the twins, you can actually see part of the forces peel off to the side. The, the main force is going like basically straight at the camera, just to the right of the camera. Meanwhile, a smaller force peels off to the left side and goes off screen. It's a subtle hint to what's to come. And then they didn't actually show the battle purely for budgetary reasons. They couldn't afford a large-scale battle, so they didn't bother even showing it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I mean, it's clever. That's kind of the state of affairs with this first season, and you, you can it, it's a, an ode to its success that almost every major battle after this is shown because they had the budget for it. So I have questions, as I always do. Caitlin mm-hmm. knew the people that she asked to gain passage um, from. Who were they? Like, should I have known who they were? Only by introduction no. in this episode. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They're doing that thing like they do on the wire, where they're Caitlin. just like, "You'll catch up." <laughs> Another show that I still have to watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. So also in this episode, Rob is, you know, torn between going to fight with his brother versus staying where he is up at the wall. And of course, he ends up trying to take off and and go down there. But in fact, his friends talk some sense into him and he comes back, even though it seems like everybody knew that he was going to try and take off and go fight with his brother, which I also found amusing. Is it, oh, yeah, we expected that. Glad you're back. <laughs> that was kind of entertaining. And um, and the, the probably the, you know, way into episode nine, we have the scene where uh, basically Drogo is dying and Daenerys will do anything to save him. And so she sends for the witch the witch ends up saying, well, you know, I can I can save his life, but you'll have to make a sacrifice and tricks Daenerys into thinking that she's sacrificing his horse for him. But in fact, she ends up sacrificing her unborn child for him. If you want to believe that the witch had anything to do with that, because she goes into labor, loses the child and is told that. Oh, well, you know what? It was kind of weird anyway. It's scaly and fragile and uh, making you believe that maybe she was going to give birth to a dragon. But how could that be? That's kind of weird. So I thought that whole thing played out really interesting. And I don't even remember if it was in nine or ten, because once again, these two blend together really well. But we end up with a situation where it, at the end, Drogo is alive but in fact, Drogo's just a vegetable. And the witch says, I told you I would keep him alive. I didn't say anything more than that. And so, you know, Daenerys pays the price and now has a dilemma on her hands. Or a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and are you to believe maybe that he was transfused with his horse's blood or something? That that's what they needed the horse for to to kind of give him some life. I wouldn't overthink this one. 
that, I guess, is my take. Yeah. Because, like, it, it, it's so weird for an episode that is so blankety-blank and good in so many places. Man, this was the one where I was like, this better not go on for more than 30 seconds. Because I was like, I do not care about Miri Ma's door. I just, I couldn't have given, I was just like, this is annoying. Although, it is necessary to set up literally the best thing that ever happens. So, it's sort of like, uh, it's funny as you go back through Game of Thrones the third time. Uh, your patience for your patience for plot lines that don't pan out and 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 people who may or may not have significance in the future. And I mean this broadly, man, it is almost nil. You're just like, nope, nope, nope. And Miri, that whole subplot of Miri Mazdur, the witch who, who with the eyeliner is not my deal. With the eyeliner. Yeah. Um. No, the eyeliner was just like, I know you're a bad witch because you're wearing a lot of eyeliner. Like, come on. This for come me, on. that particular thread for me was um, watching it was like watching Daenerys learn the lessons of life again because she's going to, there, there's a few more places where she's like really messes up, makes the wrong call. Mm-hmm. And finally, I think the third time is when she finally takes the advice of somebody and it came, comes out good. Um, but this was like this. She had to fail in order to become the character she becomes a little later in the series. And this, yeah. this is her first major failure was, yeah. was accepting this witch into, into her, her, her family, her life. And one thing that's really great about George R. R. Martin as a character writer uh, is that he really is intent on making his characters fail. I mean, that in a nutshell, that is what distinguishes Game of Thrones from a lot of other fantasy epics, right? Like in 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 almost every other fantasy that I can think of of written at a certain time, the hero always does the right thing. And literally here you watch several heroes pay the price for doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. repeatedly, making the same mistakes over and over again like you actually do in life. And I think that was that that's so fascinating to me uh, and such a that's such of what made Game of Thrones worth turning into a TV show was over and over again this choice. Now, the third time you've seen the first time she does it, you're like, Mm-mm. but it is pretty remarkable. Yep. Um, yeah. You knew something weird was going to come out of that. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of things that are dropped in these two episodes that are that add to to really give you a worldview and how they expand how much the, you know, how, how interlinked every, every, all these stories are. Man, that was hard to spit out. Um, the first one was with Longclaw, uh, with uh, Mormont, Commander Mormont uh, giving that to John and saying this was supposed to go to my son, Jorah. So now you have a tie-in to Jorah Mormont, which is you know with Daenerys. You, you now have a family tie back to Westeros there, so it's a direct link. And later on, you get... Um, you get other things that are uh, with Master Aim, uh, yeah, with uh, Aegon. Yeah, this is amazing. This is one of my favorite things in this TV show. But go on. Yeah, Aegon Targaryen. He's the the maester at the Wall, but he's actually also one of the rightful heirs to the throne. You know, he he passed it on to fulfill his duties, and that really just shows how how linked these families are and how deep this story goes. Yeah. And also, um, I'll put it this way. We're skipping ahead, so I want to be careful but because um, we haven't talked about the really important thing. But just Aemon Targaryen in himself up there at the wall is really one of 
the more delightful characters in this series and just like a like it's one of those things that every once in a while you're like whoa this world is deep Eamon Targaryen who was brother is was it I can't even but like he's one generation up from the Mad King right right he was older than the Mad he was a generation or so older than the Mad King and and for him to it was like didn't George R. R. Martin write a book called The Adventures of Duncan Egg mm-hmm. and <laughs> this is Egg <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, how I ask, how do we even know of this relationship? Because this is not something that I even caught. I mean, is it is there just a subtle mention of relationship or of uh, lineage that if I missed it, I, I'm lost? He, he or does this when he's talking to John at the wall before when, you know, when John's in that that. Do I do I leave to go to Rob or do I stay here at the wall? And he's he's doing that number there, and he's feeding the the crows or the ravens rather. Um, it's part of the, his dialogue with that. He says, "My father was." Uh, I wish I knew the exact quote, but he says who his father is, and then his father's other son was the father of uh, of the Mad King. So he draws that, that okay. little line like that. Um, it's something that you could easily miss if you're not if you're not if you don't know to pay attention to it. But like my daughters were watching and um, one was I had, I had one on each side and Sterling was watching. And as he went through his lineage, she's like, <gasps> like it all clicked in her head, <laughs> you know, but Madison completely missed it. So it's one of those details that if you're really paying attention, you'll catch it. And it's oh, my God, like this is that's who he is. Or if you, you know, but if you aren't paying attention to it specifically, then it's just adding to the story and it's kind of just you know, sharp dialogue that you move on with. Yeah. And that's all that I, I perceived that as I, I totally missed the significance of that. So, and, and I, that happens a lot as we're having these discussions and I can't imagine without having you guys as my reference, as we're watching through this, I feel like I would be missing so much. So this is, hopefully there are other people listening to us talk about this. They're like, Oh, okay. And maybe hopefully between you two, you'll clue all of us into the types of things that we should be looking out for. (laughs) Now, the other big thing in this episode, obviously, and I said this up front, is that uh, Ned basically gets his head cut off. And this is this is really uh, frustrating for me because it's one of these things where, you know, based on what you know about all the characters and how things play out in this world, that he was not playing the game right. In my mind, I look at him and I say he was doing the right thing and he died for doing the right thing. And that pisses me off. I really kind of hate that. It's meant to. (laughs) (laughs) And even to the end, you know, he calls out to someone as he's getting dragged to the the uh, front of the crowd to basically protect his daughter and and shield her from having to witness this and and you know doing the right thing up to the end perhaps hoping that he may get pardoned but despite what um you know despite what the king's mother and uh wife to be want they uh, you know he decides to be the dick and prove himself as a powerful king, Joffrey. And so he is not going to let 
Ned live. And uh, that just that ultimately pisses me off in many ways. And, you know, coming out of that, we also have that scene then where understandably, you know, um, I, I forget her name, but his his uh, wife to be is very uh, Sansa is very upset and this is actually in the next episode but understandably upset and Joffrey basically mocks her and it was not four episodes ago where I was even noting that Joffrey was saying you know I'll never be cruel to you again I'll never hurt you again and uh, here we are and uh, she almost has an opportunity to pay him back but doesn't get to take it unfortunately that would have been just rewards i would have loved that uh one other thing i wanted to mention coming out of episode nine hold is- on hold on <laughs> before you go any further what i would like you to describe for us it's very rare to have someone who didn't know that ned was going to get his head chopped off please take one minute and describe what was going through your mind and what you thought when it happened we're not skipping this what i thought would happen yeah. Did you think his head was, was going to get cut off? So I I imagine if I think about it, that there was only one inevitable end to that situation. But I wanted to believe, I wanted to believe that he might get kind of shunned or, um, you know, let go and, and, and imprisoned for the rest of his life or something, not actually killed. And I, I, I don't know why I ever thought that there was a chance of that happening. (laughs) Well, you're young yet. (laughs) I think so. I think so. But that was, that was, it was very frustrating to me. And it wasn't like one of those things where it's like, Oh, disgusting. I can't watch it. It was just, it was just, pure frustration mm. by the situation that 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 trying to do right ultimately was his undoing and i yeah. just i i hate that i hate that so anyway let me give one this one the, one yeah go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. i was just gonna no, say I one just... of the yeah no no sorry go ahead sorry it's early it's early let's do, do that one more time come on jenny what no, no, you no, no, wait let me say Okay, y'all. So I'm going to tell you what my daughter's thought real quick. I had yeah. one. We, we have, a, you know, we, we're watching this, sh- this series with strict rules. They can't ask questions during the episodes. They have to wait until after the episode. There's no pausing. Like I want them to enjoy the pace of the show. So there's no pausing the, the shows to go grab a snack or anything like that. Like you're, it's it's a yep. locked in time. I had it was like this outcry. Madison was on one side of me, tearing up, like literally tears just on her cheeks. And Sterling was basically just sitting there yelling, no, no, no. And that was the two reactions that I kind of had at the same time when I saw it for the first time. To the beheading. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't actually, like I said, I, I, I wasn't horrified by it. I was just, it just, it just gets to me. It just gets, (laughs) I, I, uh, uh. Anyway, so the the one thing that I was going to say is that the other takeaway that I had coming out of this episode, and I, I specifically wrote this down because I just thought it was fun, is uh, basically uh, Tyrion and Bronn playing an old world version of Never Have I Ever. 
<laughs> I thought that was a blast. I don't know why. Um, this this is also a scene related to their budgetary concerns because in this case they had to fill in time. They, they didn't have enough footage once they had it all edited down. So this scene with uh, with Braun and and uh, uh, Shay was actually filmed after everything else was filmed in order to fill a, fill time. And they decided to go through and start discussing all this. They had plans to, to introduce um, his story, like his marriage and all that kind of stuff, in season two. But they went ahead and included it in this season just to fill time. And it works out great. It's a great character-building scene. It totally works out. It's, a, it's an entertaining scene as well as a way of filling out some backstory that how would you tell that otherwise, right? Like it, it was such a creative way of getting that information out. I thought it was pretty cool. Yep. Um, one of the things that I adored, I just want to go back to Baylor for a second, that whole scene in King's Landing, because it really is a deep web, right? Like the, the whole scene, you saw Yorin, the guy in black who, the man in black who was coming down to try to clear out the dungeons of people who were in jail to take them up and become members of the Night's Watch, right? Like mm-hmm. he did that. He was mm-hmm. on his route to round out, empty out the prisons and he that was set up episodes ago, right? Like Yoren as a character has just been doodling around the wall. He made it all the way down to King's Landing for the most pivotal scene. And it also gives you the depth of just how much the North really is close to the men on the wall, like the watchers on the wall. Yeah. Because Ned knew Yoren because Yoren was in the first episode at King's Landing rattling up people too. So like, It's one of those things where things they set up in episode one, just little minor characters come back and play an incredibly pivotal role. And I just like and then you've got like so Ned does the right thing and then then Sansa tries to do the right thing and everybody who tries to do the right thing gets punished. And also it made me realize like why 14 year olds should never be in charge of anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Lord of the flies, but in, you know, like he's just like, you know, I don't know if you've gotten a read on Joffrey's character yet, Richard, but, um, he's a little bit of a dick. Well, yeah. And he, I mean, he comes across as a kind of a typical spoiled brat, you know, no, Mm -hmm. no real world consequences, understanding of life. And, uh, and, and yet always kind of has to have things his way. And when they don't go his way, he just falls apart either by lashing out or by becoming just kind of a, a, a bumbling sack. And so, it, it it was interesting to see him. It, it, this was one of those situations where I felt like he was really trying to prove himself. He had to f- hold his ground. He had to demonstrate that he had the strength and he was going to show the, the folks from the North and, and was not going to give on this. Yeah. One of the other things that I noticed after the scene uh, in the throne room where you know, he takes Sansa out to the to the parapets and points at the at the wall with the heads, things like that. This is the first time in that I remember the Hound showing his true character that he's not just completely rough and gruff, but that's his that's that's his first impression always. But then when it comes down to you, peel one layer back, and there's this little bit of tenderness in there that he actually gives a shit. Well, and that was kind of weird for me because that happened. You know, that was almost. Uh, like 
uh, I, I don't even know what the right word is, but that happened within a minute of both ends of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. In, in one in one moment, he's grabbing her to force her to look at the heads, and in the other, he's giving her advice to kind of get through it all. And I had a, I actually had a hard time with that because I'm like, oh, great, you have a heart, but at the end, you're basically going to serve your king. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of the same way that I felt about what uh, what was his name? Uh, Viserys. 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 Yeah. yeah. Viserys. Although I you like know? Viserys because it's even less <laughs> royal. I have. I have such a hard time with these names. I apologize to everybody listening because I know I'm just I'm I'm butchering all the names, making them sound like more um, sinister you know, than modern <laughs> Anglo-Saxon names that I'm used to. So is there anything else we have to talk about in, in this episode? Because I really uh, I want to get to the part with the dragons. <laughs> oh, well, there's a lot to get to the dragon because that's the last scene. Right. So. Yeah. Let's let's rush through some of the highlights that I caught in episode ten. So first we have Arya, uh, and is is this the guy that you were talking yeah, about? That, so yep. he's suddenly helping her out, constantly referring to to her as the boy, trying to get her to understand that she needs to disguise herself and she needs to lay low and let, not let people know who she is. So he yeah. cuts her hair. And kind of sets her off, and we see some some of her first adventures, which are kind of interesting. I didn't quite know what to make of those, actually. But again, we see an opportunity where she defends herself, I believe, if I remember the scene correctly. And I thought that was kind of cool. And then, obviously, word of Ned gets to the Stark family, so some time must have passed because, well, just... Because, because we welcome it, we, to we squishy have... Game of Thrones time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It will continue exactly. to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time is its own unstated character in the series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and then we have Jamie who has been captured, and uh, he actually confesses that he did attempt to kill Bran. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting because what does he have? Like, wh- how could that work to his advantage? Why would he give that information up except out of uh, almost contempt that, hell yeah, I tried that. Like, why wouldn't I? But that wasn't Lannisters the tone. know what's up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was ca- kind of interesting. You, you, you kind of have to re- realize that the Lannisters, half of their success is based on reputation. Yeah. So anytime that they can put forth, the, regardless of, of how, what it becomes to them, if they can put forth the family name and take uh, take credit for something that will hurt you, they're going to. And they're, they're going to do it without shame because that's just how, how they play the game. Yeah. Okay. So other things I noted in this episode along the way, um, am I, again, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, uh, Tywin, mm-hmm. the Daddy Lannister. <laughs> but what's surprisingly I, I like Daddy calls, Lannister. <laughs> Daddy Lannister calls on on Tyrion to be the the hand of the king, which I thought was a, a, a an interesting move, an, an unexpected move, but says you're not taking that horror with you. So of course 
He's taking that horror with him. (laughs) (laughs) Shay, another character who on third watch is just like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it, like sometimes you get an actor that becomes bigger than the role and is amazing and and like really like Peter Dinklage playing Tyrion Lannister. And sometimes you get a character who's so thin and an actor that doesn't quite buff it out that you're just like, I cannot I can't I can't watch this again. Yeah, especially especially knowing how how her story goes. It's just mm-hmm. can we just get to the other part? God bless the <laughs> fast forward button. <laughs> yeah and unfortunately there are scenes with her in it that have Braun in it because Braun yeah. is f- clearly of, 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 of the two he's far more interesting a character than she is right she just had sex with him uh, <laughs> saves the character any, <laughs> is there any relationship between them like are are they like how did they know each other because it seemed like they did Braun uh, and Bron and Tyrion? No, Bron and Shay. Bron and Shay. Oh, well, probably they've 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 had a mutually beneficial financial relationship in the past or like 24 hours before, who knows. Like, you know. <laughs> okay. He's a man okay. and she's a lady it, tonight, so. Yeah. It definitely seemed like there was some familiarity there and I wasn't sure where that came from. Yeah. Uh so then we also go back to Daenerys who is just all upset about having basically um, you know, kept her husband or whatever. I guess he's her husband uh, dead walking. And so he is, uh, he's basically dead anyway. So she suffocates him. She suffocates him with a pillow. And that surprised me. I didn't, I didn't actually see her doing that for a variety of reasons. Not the least of which is that, it seemed like the most humane thing to do. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that just doesn't strike me as in the character that I see them developing for her because she really seems to be about kind of, you know, becoming a big thing on her own and getting a little bit too involved in the power that she has, even though, Ultimately, in this episode, all but maybe a couple dozen of Drogo's uh, army or whatever you would call them are gone. They just abandoned. So then we end up where, you know, ultimately we're going to have a. What, what do you call the, the funeral where you funeral burn? Pyre. The pyre. Uh, yes. And she puts Drogo and the live witch <laughs> in the ring of fire. And she walks in. And, and you're you like, think, here's the amazing part. You're conditioned to think it's going to really happen. Right. You, you figure that she is sacrificing herself to be with him. With the gods, but no, somehow she's unscathed. Her clothes are burnt off, so they burned on her body, but she is unscathed the next morning when folks go out to see what's going on out there. And she has 
three little baby dragons just kind mm-hmm, of clutching mm-hmm. on her. Uh, what'd you think of that? So, first off, <laughs> I knew the spoilers that there were dragons. So, I didn't go through the initial reaction, and this mm-hmm. is why I knew that there were dragons, because I remember hearing people react to the end of season one with, oh my god, fucking dragons, this is bullshit, I'm out of here. What? <laughs> like, if you didn't know there were going to be dragons, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but one thing I really liked was, when you go back and watch it again, they're constantly setting up the fact that she can react well to fire. She stuck her hand in a fire, it didn't get burned. She said, fire cannot burn a dragon. She, When Viserys gets a pot of gold dumped on his head, he says she he wasn't a true dragon. Fire can't burn a dragon. Like They're literally punching you in the face with it, but you think she's just kind of a little bit Targaryen crazy and she's not mm, being right. literal. And it's, right. it starts in episode one when she's in the water that's so yep. hot that nobody else wants to wants to help her out of it or whatever. Um, and it's constantly set up for that. And this is not the full payoff of her immunity to fire or her tolerance to fire. This there's there's still a couple more payoffs that are just like, wow. Yep. So she's- also before she walks into the fire, she has a moment with Jora hmm. where. I don't know if I'm reading this right or not. You are. But it seems like he's more or less in love with her. You are correct. You are absolutely correct. You have a judge this correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little creepy if you think of it in modern day, but uh, I'm okay with it in uh, unsubstantiated past era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, already we've kicked a kid out of a window for witnessing incest, so we're yeah. pretty much past like basic norms. Um, well, and and not just that. It, I mean, not just kicked a kid out of a window for incest, but basically having come to the table in an argument saying, "Well, how do you think we keep our lineage royal yeah. if we don't?" Uh, you know, if we aren't procreating with each other, they, there's like full defense of this. Yep. That's in our own history. You know, like, yep. like every time you wanted to wed a cousin that was too close to you, you had to go to the Pope and the Pope had to be like, okay. And then they would do it. Like it really is a, a, a fairly recent thing. Not maybe so much brother and sister in our generation, but like slamming cousins together at a hefty rate, you know, yep. even in like the 12, 1300s, 1400s, like, you know, they had some notions. And yep. some, something Sorry, to keep in mind yeah. in this uh, in the show is pretty much everyone under adult age in this show has been aged by two years for the show. And in yeah. the books, everybody's basically two years younger than what, what they are in the show. It's even more upsetting. Yeah. Because like Daenerys is what, 13 when the show starts? Yep. Um, Bran is five. Rickon is three. You know, Arya yep. is nine. Uh it, I'm not sure the exact ages, but it's like they're all two years, at least two years younger than what they are in the show. And so you're saying the ages that you just rattled off now, is that their age in the show or in the book? In the book. Yeah, they aged them all Got two it. years for the show in order to make it a little bit more. A little bit less sick. Yeah. Than- <laughs> <laughs> it was a conscious decision made by the uh, by the producers of the show to to make it more palatable. It's a wise right. choice. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a wise choice. And and even then you further disconnect from that because of the fact that almost in all cases, actors that play children are older than the children that they play. Right. Just so that they have sufficient acting experience and so. So I didn't even really have any problem with Daenerys seeing her hook up with someone because I don't even have a concept of how old she is. It doesn't even occur to me how old she might be. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, uh, age is also a thing on Game of Thrones that has its own relationship (laughs) to reality. Indeed, indeed. Uh, One other, obviously, big plot uh, setting move here is that the Night's Watch basically rides in beyond the wall. More than just the Rangers. They take like a ton of people and doesn't, if I remember correctly, doesn't Rob go with them? John. John, sorry. Yeah. John. Yeah. So they're take, it, it struck me as interesting that they were taking more than just the Rangers to, to go in beyond the wall to go look for whatever they're going to be looking for when in theory, I thought the reason they had these very specific roles was, you know, to, to kind of create. Well, they re- realized basically that shit is going down. Right. And they <laughs> need to like throw their me- all of their meager resources at it. Yeah. I think is the take and, and this is a huge plot device for basically the entire rest of the series is this movement to take as many uh, uh, Night's Watch north of the wall at one time. And it really sets everything else yeah. up. Yep. All right. So those were the big things that caught my attention. So I'm always interested, like you mentioned before, the the person that was helping out Arya, who I didn't even really remember or recognize. I just knew that, wait a minute, we've seen him. Why have we seen him? Why do I know who he is? What else did I miss? Is there other stuff that happened that I just somehow uh, completely ignored or otherwise didn't think was significant enough to catch along the way? I think... It- as far as what my notes have, have down here, anything that we've missed in this episode, uh, I think me and Jenny are probably not talking about on purpose because it's going to yeah. be a device for later. Mm. So, yeah, we could have a whole other conversation about things to come, but we won't <laughs> because that would not be fair to you. Th- things, things Richard is going to hate himself for missing later. <laughs> yeah, we'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And it's not often that you really get an opportunity to watch something through multiple times. And so I I have to I I both am a little bit envious of the two of you for getting that opportunity. And I also have a lot of admiration for that because as you're saying, Jenny, there's some scenes where you're just like, Oh, I don't really have the patience for this. The ten again. second button is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, once you know, you know where you can go. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's right. I guess, but, it, you know, the way they jump around, that's the other thing that I think is is I have really taken away as I've been watching this. 
they're kind of all over the place. And yet they tie it together in a way that as you're watching it, it all kind of makes sense. And you can you can see why they sequence things the way they do. But there's there's just so much cutting back and forth that it really is hard to understand um, kind of, you know, oh, we haven't seen this person in like half an hour of showtime, but now, now they're back in it. Why all that, why all that delay? And as you see scenes like that play out over the season, you start to understand why they pace things out the way they do, why they sequence things the way they do. And I have, so much respect for that. I think they've done an amazing job telling the story, at least from someone who hasn't read it before. Jenny, you've read it. This is now the end of the first season, the end of the first book. How do you, now that you've watched it again and you've read the books, how do you think it lives up? Does it do a fair job of telling Martin's story? This is the season that is the most tit for tat, like, chapter by chapter sort more or less of what is going on in the first book. So you can read the first book like I did. I actually read the first book before I watched ever watched the show. And so I came to it knowing what was going on and I was like, all right, yeah, that was like a really rich, well textured, well pruned adaptation. And uh, you could either read the book or watch the show and you would still get approximately a better idea. There's depth, richness and history in the books that aren't in the thing. It's not till later seasons that stuff starts to get a little like butterfly effect. Let's just put it that way, which is like one change in the in the what they choose to cover will have impact later on. Yeah. Yeah. And how about you, Anthony? I mean, you're doing this watch through with your daughters, which I think is so fascinating. I'm almost more interested in their reaction to this than yours. Nothing personal, bud, but you know, that has to be that has to be a really cool experience for you. And now that we've wrapped through this first season, like how are they feeling coming out of this? Are they excited about what's coming? Do they feel fulfilled? All they wanted to do is watch the next episode. <laughs> so I, I, I had to put the brakes on last night because we were watching kind of late and uh, had to get up this morning. So, um, yeah, I think I think this season is amazing and I'm really looking forward to the next uh, the next part of it, even though season two is a little little slower paced, but it's still very important. Yeah, well, I am definitely looking forward for the next season. You know, it's funny. I have a guest here this weekend and we were talking about this because I was coming in to record today. And I've been trying to get I've been trying to get my partner to watch this. And he read all the books and they're both waiting for that last book. They, they're desperately uh, waiting for that last book and frustrated that it isn't coming. And they blame the series because it's distracting him from actually being able to write the books. And so they don't actually want to watch the series. I think it's more cause... like the award shows. And the other series he's doing. I think you could probably handle EPing one show. It's all the other stuff that's probably a problem. Yeah, the only thing stopping George yeah. R. R. Martin is George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. I can understand that too. I'm 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 bad about getting stuff done that I need to get done. But I you know, I, I think this has been really cool. I'm glad that it's true. And we can we can end this season happy, I think. Let us let us call that 
the end of our first run through the season and end this episode. I'm going to ask folks to let everybody know how they can hear more from you. Jenny. At Jenny J, J-E-N-N-I-E-J, 2-3. All the things are there. <laughs> All right. Do you talk about other things? No. Okay. You don't talk about other things. She doesn't have time to talk about other things today. So, Anthony, where can people hear more from you? At Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. All right. Do you talk about other things? I talk about lots of other things, but uh, you can find them all right there on Twitter. All right. And me too. I am at Richard Gunther, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-G-U-N-T-H-E-R. I don't know why we all spelled our names today, but you can find us on Twitter and that will surely lead you to more of us. Thank you for joining us as we talk about thrones. Thrones.